When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey out there, you rock and rollers and football fans. Welcome to the 33rd edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded right here in central London, just off Abbey Road. It's been an interesting time here in London in that we hosted the Euros, and England did extremely well, the best they've done in 55 years for Americans. I'm going to go into it a little bit on the show, as I also had to educate Jackson on what the Euros were all about and how much it meant to people on this side of the pond, especially here in the UK, after having such a long lockdown, such a hard time with COVID, and such a very long time since they had any real success in any of these big international competitions like the World Cup or the Euros. And so we're going to give you a little flavor on that as well. But there was also a horrible thunderstorm here this week after that. And it caused my flat to flood. And I'm recording this in between when the guys are here pulling up all the hardwood floors and getting ready to pull out all the baseboards and rip out a lot of the drywall because water causes mold and I can't be living in a mold-infested place. So it's not actually all that easy for me to get the show out, but I know that dozens of people around the world are dying to hear what we're going to talk about next. And this week, we're talking about one of our all-time heroes, one of the real guitar gods of all time, and that's Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton's career is unparalleled, really second to none. You can't talk about rock and roll guitar or rock and roll history in general without having some kind of knowledge or understanding of Eric Clapton. He started way back in 1963 as a teenager with the blues band The Yardbirds, who then became more pop and psychedelic over time. And then he moved along from band to band for a long time, playing with greats along the way and cutting some of the most incredible rock tracks of all time. Our story kind of centers around the box set that came out in 1988, Crossroads. In the late 80s, Once CDs were relatively affordable, record companies figured out you can cram so many great songs onto CDs that it was time to start putting together special archives for some of these artists and bands who'd been around a long time, but you couldn't put together a six or eight LP set, uh, but you could put together a three or four CD set that really encompassed their whole career and give the artist and the record company a chance to make a ton of money. And Eric Clapton was perfect for that because he had been in so many bands and done so many great songs over the years. Now, we're not going to go song by song and tell you every single one that we like, nor are we going to go off on tangents about how he played on While My Guitar Gently Weeps on the Beatles' White Album, uncredited at the time, because we're just going to kind of focus on the Crossroads songs 
And then his career, the bands he played in, and what were the highlights and stories around all of those bands. And there's a lot to get to here. It's a four-disc set, and he's had an incredible, at this point, 60-year career. Uh, But at that point, we were really only talking about 25 years, which is a lot to cover in one show, so we're going to make it in two. And this is part one. So you have to wait till next week, next Thursday. It's out July 22nd on Thursdays. We always put things out on Thursdays. Now, until then, please check us out on Twitter. We're at at ugly underscore werewolf and Jackson's at actionjack72. Please check out all of our past episodes at uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. Of course, you can subscribe on Apple, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. So for now, kick back a little bit. We're going to talk about the incredible journey through the first decade or so of Eric Clapton's extraordinary career via the box set Crossroads here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Here we are taping on July 11th, which for most people in America, it's just the weekend after Independence Day weekend. We partied hard last weekend. This weekend, now it's the middle of summer. We're we're probably going to take it easy. But in the UK, on July 11th, as we're recording this, we're about five hours from kickoff of the Euros, which is the biggest international soccer or football, if that's what you prefer, competition, short of the World Cup. Okay, like it, it happens in the two years. You know, like there's the Summer Olympics every four years, and then two years later, there's the Winter Olympics. Well, there's the World Cup every four years, and then two years later, there are the Euros. And it was supposed to happen last year, but of course, there was COVID. So this year, they figured it out, and there is the Euros. So ask me that same question again (laughs) okay so what's this thing going on today yeah (laughs) so this is the biggest deal possible to happen in the uk 
while I'm here. Nothing bigger could possibly happen in the three to four years that I'm here than this soccer match here today. Because the Euros now are hosted. They were host. They're usually hosted in one country, just like a World Cup. They thought they'd get cute and hosted in a bunch of countries in like a ten or twelve different cities. But for the most part, England got to play in England. Not every match, but most of their matches they have. And the semifinals and finals were in Wembley, the new Wembley Stadium, which has been home to FA Cup finals, English Premier League finals, Olympics, Live Aid, all sorts of stuff over over 100 years. Now, it's they, they tore it down and rebuilt it, I'm fairly certain, for the London Olympics in 2012. And it's a huge deal. It, it couldn't be bigger. And obviously, England being in it, this is the first time they've been in a major soccer or football final in 55 years, Jackson. As crazy as people are about football here, the only time their team has won anything in recent memory, quote-unquote recent, was 55 years ago, again when they hosted the 1966 World Cup at Wembley. So if they host the event, they do pretty well. If they don't, they apparently don't stand a chance. Well, so here's the thing. I guess that just proves that we in America are just complete. We just think about ourselves. Like we think we exist in this world where it's USA is number one. And Mm -hmm. if we don't do it or if we don't like it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. Now, the the other problem I have too is that, and I know this is Euro, but more with World Cup, if we had our best athletes actually play soccer, we'd be phenomenal. But we don't, so we kind of miss out on it for the rest of the world. Like I think that would be really cool to have the United States in like some kind of, you know, in the World Cup. But we're never going to do that. We're lucky to even qualify for anything. Well, our, our, you know, we have proven it in that we we have Title IX and we force women to play soccer. Oh, you don't want to play anything else? Okay, we'll just play soccer. And our women are the best soccer team, football team in the world. Right. You know, we have a hundred. 60 million women and, and, you know, we get them playing soccer. But, uh, but you know, but no, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you know, that that's the blowback against Americans everywhere. It's like the whole world plays rugby, except for you, you play American football. The whole world plays cricket, except for you, you play baseball. You know, you invented basketball and then you complain when we change the rules uh, that don't fit the NBA because the FIBA rules aren't the same, you know, as the NBA rules. You don't even watch F1. You don't even watch Formula One, which everybody loves, because, you know, people are in a NASCAR instead of Formula One, you know. So it's like everything we do is very American. And soccer or football, as they call it here, is just not, at least not from the men's side. And I think it's improving. And, you know, I played soccer growing up uh, at the YMCA. And they tore down my old YMCA to put condos in there. And I think it was something my mother did. My mother was a lot more savvy than I used to give her credit for growing up because football and soccer are fall sports, American football and soccer. So she figures, if I get him playing soccer, then once they get up old enough to play like American football in pads and where you can break each other's legs and stuff like that, he'll already be down the soccer path and he won't be Uh. able to play football. And essentially, that's what's happened because I was a scrawny little kid until I grew up. And then people were like, oh, we can put some weight in him and, you know, turn him into an athlete. And it's like, no, too bad. I'm already a basketball player and a soccer player. I, you know, I can't play football. So that's that's a little in-depth look into my life there. But so, um, you know, so it's a huge deal. And after they won the semifinal against Denmark, which was a huge deal in Wembley, the place has been buzzing ever since. Not that it wasn't buzzing a little bit before that, but buzzing big time ever since. And so yesterday, on Saturday the 10th, I'm like, you know, I'm going to take the girls down there to the stadium. And we're going to walk around. We're going to take in some of this atmosphere 
you know, maybe get a couple of souvenirs and that kind of stuff. And we're down there from 1 to 2 p.m. yesterday, and it was dead. There's nobody down there. Really? I'm like, is, yeah, is this COVID? Is this just, like, they don't really have fan zone set up. Like, when you see it at the Super Bowl or you go to the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals or something, they have all sorts of merch everywhere. There's fan zones. There's fun stuff to do. None of that's going on. And I'm sure like, there is. is this there's a fan, there's, there's fan zones all over the place. It's called the pub. Yeah, the pubs are open. Yeah, so they're, <laughs> they're crashing into there. Yeah, that's right. But they didn't have great merchandise. They didn't have a lot of good stuff. So I'm like, well, this is kind of lame. And then my daughter was pretty upset that we couldn't get her a shirt. So this morning I said, all right, I got up before they did. I said, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to I'm going to get her a shirt. I'm going to get her a small little England shirt. Even if I have to pay, you know, 50 quid for something she's going to outgrow in six months. I'm going to go ahead and do it. And so I get down there and I get down there at 10 and the atmosphere is already totally different. There are punters out there drinking oh in boy. the morning. There are people. What's cool about Wembley is there's the train station and then you walk down these steps from the train and then you've got this somewhere between a quarter to half mile walk up to Wembley. And it's it, it's there's no cars down there. There's this big, long walkway with lots of flags and stuff like that. A couple of pop up shops along the way selling scarves and hats and shirts and stuff like that. And so the atmosphere was a lot bigger. So I went and got in line at the Nike store. 40 minutes before it opened because there was an hour long wait to get in yesterday. I'm like, I'm not doing that. But I'm like, if I, if I go in now, if I wait now, I'll get right in. And so I did that. I listened to the rock on tours podcast and I waited for my tour time to get in. And I basically had to fight through people and just grab stuff and say, I hope this fits the wife. I hope this fits the kid. This is definitely too small for me, but I'm buying it anyway. So I could get the heck out of there, you know? And yeah, when I left at 11, call it quarter after 11, there were gaggles of people coming off the train, singing the songs, hands up in the air. And I'm like, it's 11 a.m. It's nine hours before the game even starts, you know. If You're they, not it. no, no. If this, if they win, which I really hope they do. Oh, you better lock the doors. They win. Well, yeah, I mean, stuff is going to burn if they win. But if they lose, you don't want to be anywhere near that. There's going to be people mauling each other, man. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're allowed to go to work late tomorrow. I think win or lose. But if it's win, oh, boy. Um, A lot of sick people tomorrow. Yeah. But, you know, the thing is, the Premier League has been awesome in the two years I've been here. It just it was calculated that the Premier League is the strongest league in Europe just eclipsed the Spanish League, La Liga, for the first time in a long time. And they proved it internationally because Champions League final was two Premier League teams, won by Chelsea over Man City. And Man United was in the Europa League final, which is kind of like the NIT, only a little bit better. Okay. And it was if Arsenal had scored one more goal during their semifinal for Europa, it would have been an all-England Europa League too. So it'd be like, you know, it'd be like the ACC had two teams in the finals of the NCAA and two teams in the finals of the NIT. So, you know, they're doing well. And they've got a lot of young players who do have some international competition and some doing some great stuff. I mean, Harry Maguire, Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden's just a kid, Mason Mount's a kid, but he won Champions League. There's a lot of good energy as far as they have experience, but they also have that young, we can do this, let's go get it kind of energy. So we'll see how they do against the Italians tonight. We got to crank this out so I can watch that. Alrighty. <laughs> I think it's kind of cool too when they have the, when it's the country and not just a team of like the Premier League. Okay, it's cool, but I mean, those guys are paid guns yeah. and they're not all from the same place. This is, we're all in the same team. This is our country. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It is cool. So, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but yeah, I'm going to watch it in the comfort of my own home. I've already stocked up on all the beer and food and supplies I'm going to need 
win or lose. Yeah. Because uh, it could get it, it could get a little purge like out there. <laughs> you know That's exactly what I was thinking of when you were saying that, like cars burning in the streets and just oh boy. Yeah. Yep, looting and all sorts of good stuff that's going to happen, right? Um, uh, soccer hooliganry going on. Hooliganry? <laughs> I don't know. Is that, I just made that up. I, you know, it, it, I'm, I, copy, I'm copywriting that uh, it, phrase. It translates. Yeah, go ahead and <laughs> get it there. So we are going to talk again, of course, about another English artist because that's just who we tend to gravitate to. Uh, yes. And this may be the greatest, certainly the greatest white blues guitar player ever, but just an icon in rock and roll and for guitar and blues guitar that's Eric Clapton couldn't be more important in my life in my education or in the building blocks of my appreciation of rock and roll than Eric Clapton is I mean was in so many extraordinary bands played and wrote and sang on so many bedrock rock and roll songs and the fact that the Crossroads album came out when it did at such like that teenage years, that impressionable part of my life, it imprinted on me hard. And it's, it's really just the foundation of a lot of my love of rock and roll. Yeah. And I know there's a there's a big not a big, but there is a, a school of thought that Eric Clapton is overrated. Oh, you know, there's there's guys that can play better than him. But going through this again, I don't think so, because when you see all the the projects that he's been involved with, all the songs that he's done, mm -hmm. I think that, I mean, there there may be somebody out there that can, it's better technically than, you know, oh, well, he can play the notes. But I mean, as far as putting out output of songs and projects, no, I don't think so at all. I think he is the top of the mountain here. And the thing is, they were kind of wrapping this up like, okay, well, his career is about done now. Because, you know, he's in 1988, what did he turn uh, 43? It's like, okay, well, you know, rock stars don't go past this. You know, he, he's special. And, of course, he was down and, and kind of out for a while. He had <clears throat> alcohol and drug problems in the 70s and into the 80s that really affected his output. Uh, and certainly affected what he pulled off on stage. So now that we've gotten to this point where CDs were prevalent uh, and you could squeeze 73, 76, 78 minutes onto a CD, and suddenly you could take all the different bands he was with, you can get the Yardbirds. All right, let's get all his best Yardbird songs together. Let's do his best stuff from when he was in the Blues Breakers. Let's take like the greatest hits of Cream. Let's take the best stuff from Blind Faith. Let's get the Derek and Domino stuff. Let's get all his solo stuff, stuff that he put on soundtracks, you know, all this stuff and put it into one extraordinary collection, Crossroads. It, it's amazing. And to this day, it's still the best box set I've ever seen around. Yeah, I think you're right. And my comment before was that the box set genre in general can't really be a greatest hits because you don't there's no one person or one band that has that many but this does a really good job of yeah it's four discs of his greatest hits and the other thing I like too is it, like you said it goes through his whole career so there's a lot of stuff especially for me that I went back and oh I've never heard that before well I never heard that before what you know where was this hiding and then you know you go into the cream you go into Derek Adamas and then later into his solo stuff and the thing that I liked about, especially about disc four, 
Hmm. is that there was a lot of stuff that they didn't put on there, which I like. They didn't put on Forever Man. They didn't put on, uh, what was the one, the way that you use it. All, right. all, all like his big hits. So you go in here and you're like, well, okay, I, th- this is cool. And so it's a, it's almost the greatest hits without being the greatest hits. They did a really great job on the tracks, whoever picked all of these. And to your point before, yeah, Clapton had entire years of his life that he was like, yeah, I don't, I don't remember that. You don't remember being on stage? I don't remember playing that show. Right. So the fact that he's still alive and with us is pretty phenomenal. True on all scores there, Jackson. And you're and you're right. You know, the stuff in the 80s, they didn't just put all the hits on there, which is cool. I mean, I think they tried to do that for the most part from the 60s and 70s. But in the mm-hmm. 80s, like, well, let's do some D-tracks or maybe let's get some B-sides on there, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And obviously we would fast forward through some of the, or skip rather, you know, some of the songs that we didn't love. And I made two cassettes so we could listen to it in the car. The Clapton, the 90-minute Clapton, which was like the best of all of our favorite songs. And then there was another 60-minute more Clapton, uh, which you know had some of the ones we just couldn't squeeze on there in the first place, or maybe what you would call some deep tracks. But we got to go back to the beginning of how I got this, how I conned my father <laughs> into going yes. in with me on this. Because look, folks, and, and by the way, the liner notes are fantastic. I'm really sad that we're making this show without me having the actual discs in my hand. Not because I can't listen to them. I can listen to them just like anybody else can on YouTube or Alexa or whatever. But the liner notes were fantastic in that it told you everybody who played on the song and it told you which record it was from or if it was the B-side or when it was released and all that kind of stuff. And they won a Grammy for best liner notes on it. Not to mention, guys, it sold at least 3 million copies in the United States. This is a four-disc set. So that's like 12 million records they sold. That's diamond level. You know, that's how popular this thing was. How could something that's $60 compete against stuff that's, you know, $11.99 the first day it comes out, you know, $15.99 most of the time. But to that point, $60 at 15, 16 years old, I'd have $60. Yeah, that might have been a, it must have been, it should have been a thousand dollars. I mean, that's, that's what it was like when you saw that thing in the record store. Oh man, that's woof, 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 woof. Well, yeah, I've got $11. I don't have $60. Right, that's for adults. You know I mean? It literally $60 <laughs> is literally like $160 today. And unless it's, you know, signed by the artist or they're only making a hundred of them, no one's going to buy a four disc set for $160. I don't care what's on there. It'd be easier to just go out and go buy all the greatest hits of all the bands he was in, you know, get the $5 version of those. But so my dad had bought this killer stereo system from his buddy who owned an RCA dealership. It was like the floor model. So I don't know if he gave it to him or gave it to him at a huge discount but it was like it all fit together. The tape deck, the CD player, the VCR, the TV, the radio. It was all connected into one thing. So you could record CDs on the tape. You could record stuff off the radio. You could rent a VHS from Blockbuster, like Van Halen Live Without a Net, and then put it on cassette, which nobody had. you know. And, and he loved to come home and crank it up at night and kind of do his dad dance or whatever. And so I, and he had, you know, a lot of, a lot of parents didn't have the same tastes, you know, as we did. And and dad definitely had a big Motown thing that wasn't necessarily my thing, but he liked classic rock and roll and he really liked cream and he had Disraeli gears on LP. In fact, he had a second printing that had a big sticker on it that said, you know, 
Grammy Award nominee or Grammy winner or something like that from back in the day. And I remember finding it when going through his album. So I figure, all right, I save some money. I borrow a little money. I can get 30 bucks. If I can convince my dad to go in have with me, then we can have all these songs. I mean, it's 73 songs. It's an incredible collection. Not to mention the booklet and all the photos and everything that came with it. I'm like, this is a treasure. This is something I need to have in my collection. So I'll go to dad. Now going to mom, that might work, but going to dad gently, that's, that stuff didn't fly. But because I knew he liked Clapton and I knew I could play some of it for him, I worked on him and eventually he's like, okay, I understand. It's a cool deal. Let's let's go get it. So we did. And that's how it happened. It, it was it, the... So your copy that somehow was shared, but you got the key. And I don't know how that worked. But anyway, <laughs> that was the first time that I had heard it. And it was cool because back then... We, that was before you could you could burn CDs, so you kind of had to say, you know, if you had one, eh, I'm going to listen to these three songs and then I'll pop it out. But these really, in looking at these tracks down the line, you could listen to the whole thing of all four of these discs. You could just put it in and groove to it. So that was a really cool deal. And yeah, to go back and hear For Your Love, mm-hmm. okay, I've, I've heard that before, but a lot of this, most of the stuff, especially on the first record, mm-hmm. I hadn't heard. So it was really cool. Like, like, oh, wait a minute, what is this? And I really think if you listen to this, you, you're going to say to yourself, now, wait a minute, Beatles and the Stones, why were the Yardbirds not bigger, at least in America? Mm-hmm. I don't, it, it, it's kind of that, they kind of got pushed to the side a little bit, I think, because they did some great stuff. And of course, they had the famous, you know, they went from Clapton to Jeff Beck to Jimmy Page. But, and maybe that was part of the deal is that they never had a solid lineup throughout the whole deal. I don't know, but they, they always seem like they should have been bigger in the United States. Yeah, and I think part of that was they didn't make a lot of records. They did a lot of singles, but not a lot of LPs. They did start out kind of as a pure blues band, which is what Clapton loved about them. And then they started to get psychedelic, and he kind of kind of went the other way, yep. um, which is kind of a theme throughout the really I mean the first part of his career is he wants to be in a band. He doesn't really want to be singer. He doesn't certainly doesn't want to be the only singer, and he wants to be part of a band. He doesn't just want to be a solo artist. And so the Yardbirds start off, and they're doing a lot of covers, right? They're doing John Lee Hooker and Jimmy Reed and Calvin Carter, and they're they're doing you know a lot of blues standards. I mean, boom boom. Yep. That's that's always going to be John Lee Hooker. That's not a bunch right. of scrawny white kids from England that's <laughs> from you know, England. that's not that's you guys aren't ready to play that song I mean you might like it but you haven't earned the right you know <laughs> what was interesting that I didn't realize is the second song Honey in Your Hips was something Keith Ralph actually wrote it sounds like uh, like an old blues tune but I, I think it was, they did a pretty good job on that song yeah and I think that comes from listening to all those songs a million times and saying okay you know just kind of following along but that is pretty a pretty cool tribute you come up with a new song that sounds like that uh, but you're right in looking at these i think that's the only one really all the rest of these are covers and uh you know and, and some of them i mean it sounds like there's a dulcimer on it instead of a guitar you know when you listen mm-hmm. to good morning little Schoolgirl." girl i'm like oh gee what's that about uh, <laughs> you know it, you'd be canceled for doing that today that's for sure correct but you know he does have some good Good licks, but I mean, all the songs are like two minutes, two minutes and eight seconds. You know, they're they're all right. those super short, early to mid '60s songs where there's not going to be too much. There's no A A B A. It's just like A B A, and that's it. You know, um, <laughs> kind of thing. But for your love was the kind of 
pop song, the psychedelic yeah. song that I did have on the Clapton tape. That and it was also kind of the reason that he left the band because he really appreciated the blues. This is more of a psychedelic. We're trying to be a pop band. We're trying to get in the psychedelic thing. He's like, no, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be on top of the pops. I want to play blues. So while it was good for the band, Clapton didn't appreciate it that much, and it it caused him to after a couple of years he edged out. Right, and then and then you can see if you go along once he gets to to the blues breakers, it's it more or it's back to that kind of the blues standards again. You know, they do Hideaway by Freddie King, mm -hmm. uh, which everybody and their brother, I mean, I remember Stevie Ray Vaughan playing Hideaway on some live show and right. telling you, well, you know, Freddie King plays it like this and somebody else plays it like this and I play it like this. So everybody who ever picked up a blues guitar knows how to play Hideaway. Right, yeah, exactly. And you know what? I actually, I bought this last year, Jackson. They had a one CD, had the stereo and mono version all on one cd and it was only like four or five quid delivered to me the next day so i went back and that's that's the thing i didn't listen to crossroads the box set that much for this as much as i listened to every one of the albums that i could that so many of these came off of like you know listen to Derek and the dominoes layla all the way through when's the last time you did that well you ought to because it's amazing and you just forget about it he's like oh yeah layla i know the song right you know? but if you listen to all of it you're like god they were on fire back then weren't they and and that's kind of the way that i feel about the john mayle and the blues breakers album yes he was young and a lot of people will say that was his best playing ever i don't necessarily think that but there's some killer blues stuff on here and yeah you're doing robert johnson and willie dixon and otis rush and freddie king and you know you're doing the heavyweights but you're doing them yeah. justice yeah and and i think that this another this is another one too that maybe was not it, it, well okay i say that now but i think they're in the united states at that time we weren't really into the blues we were into more of the pop music mm -hmm. uh and maybe the psychedelic stuff so this this i could see why this didn't catch on but th yeah this is a killer record oh it's killer it's it's unbelievable of course, John McVie of Fleetwood Mac fame was the bass player on this record as he was through, you know, to kind of the late 60s when Peter Green, their drummer at the time, a guy named Mick Fleetwood, and him decided to go break off and make their own band, which turned out, you know, okay. Um, <laughs> they sold a couple. They made some coins. Yeah, they, they got up on the charts once or twice. Um, <laughs> but no, you know, and... You know, it's got him reading the Beano comic right on the front there, 20 years old. Just lights this on fire. And this is when you start to see a lot of the Clapton is God graffiti no. around mm -hmm. London, which I don't know if he really loved that. And I, I think he, all they did was play the blues. Like they would they would go seven, eight days a week playing 10, 12 shows a week, just playing the blues, playing the blues, no. playing the blues. So I think he really, you know, he cut his teeth a little bit there. He wasn't just with a bunch of kids. You know, John Mayall's a little bit older. You know, they're a little bit more professional. They're not playing to screaming girls. You know, they're playing to, you know, adults like you and me want to have a beer and a smoke and really listen to what's going on. Yeah, they'd sit, sit in a place and listen and not have people, you know, up in front screaming. And yeah, it, like you said, a little more of an older crowd. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and so he does that. I was actually very fortunate. I got to see John Mayall play when I was at college at the University of Florida in the late 90s. He came through on a tour and, you know, I thought he was so old then because, you know, he, he looked it and he had been doing it for 35 years at that point, which basically nobody had. But it, it was cool to kind of check that box and say, hey, living legend. 
And he didn't yeah. have, because later he got McTaylor and his band and, you know, had, had a lot of great guitarists over the years. He didn't really have anybody that was famous, but they played those blues, man. A little harp and a little keyboard, and it was cool. Cool. So then they get, then he goes to what could be considered the world's first supergroup, and that's Cream. Yes. And so then, then I kind of caught back up with this because I was pretty familiar with the Cream stuff, mm-hmm. but, but there were there were some stuff on there that I hadn't heard before. But you're right. This was this was three dudes who were accomplished musicians, and you talk about guys that could play. Oh man, it, yeah. Just it, it, I kind of feel bad for Ginger Baker because I mean, you wanted to, he's never really included. Like, who's the best rock drummers on the face of the earth? Oh, John Bonham. Oh, you know, Neil from Rush and. Mm-hmm he's up there. He is up there with the, the top of the, I mean, I think that he wasn't really flashy, but he's super solid and he just beats those things to death. Yeah. And if you come on his property unannounced, he'll beat you to death. He, yes. He's not someone you trifle with. Ginger Baker, you know, he's a big, me dude. he was in so, I can't remember what was that band that he was in, in the nineties. Oh, I can't remember what it was now, but it was, he was like, he was the star of the show. And mm-hmm. He had a couple of younger guys. And I just remember the photo that, you know, the, the, the younger guys, like, and he was just sitting in this chair, like, if you even say anything, I will take the top of your head off. Right. Just this cool, who is his grandpa? Grandpa's pretty much the coolest guy you're ever going to meet. That's right. But it was good. Yeah, he's, Ginger's an amazing drummer, and he also was in Blind Faith, which we'll get mm-hmm. to in a bit. Jack Bruce had a cool voice. Uh, and, and was a wicked cool bass player. And when you hear stuff like Wrapping Paper or Strange Brew, you know, it, it yeah. things, it's, a, it's not just straight blues. Yes, Clapton's bringing some blues into this band, but there's a little bit of psychedelia and just a little bit of off-kilter weirdness, which it was obviously appropriate for the time, but it's cool that you've got this guy who always kind of went back to the blues is in this band with these kind of oddness, quirkiness to it. And the other cool thing too is you had now you had your two singer deal. You mm. had Clapton could take some, but I don't. Eh, I Not have to, much. I have to go back and really. Not much. It's mostly yeah, Jack. But, yeah, but it, so he could jump in when he wanted to. It wasn't all on him. That's right. He never really wanted to be out front singing. He's like, I'm happy to be the guitar player. Maybe I get to be a band where everybody sings and we take some turns. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be the only, you know, front man out there. It took him a long time for that to happen. And, you know, they do Laudy Mama, which I guess they recorded at the BBC. Clapton sings on that, mm-hmm. but it's really just kind of a vehicle to, to get to his guitar playing for the most part. And then it has the big one like Sunshine of Your Love and White Room, which were big hits and are still big on rock radio to this day. But I like the I like some of the you know the strange brew and the tales of brave Ulysses, which are kind of psychedelic. I had never heard I'd heard strange brew before. I'd never heard tales of brave Ulysses. Yeah, that's a cool track. Cool song. And I could yeah, and and that was one of those. Uh, I I didn't know why it wasn't a bigger hit in the United States. But I guess when you have you know White Room and Sunshine of Your Love, that kind of gets pushed to the you know that's enough from that. We we can we'll just play those all the time. Yeah, and it's it's pretty trippy. I mean, with dancing yeah. purple fishes go laughing through your fingers Man. like you know, that's not going to appeal to the heartland you know <laughs> you know yeah yeah but but so 23 songs on that first disc everything of consequence he played on the yardbirds about half of the blues breakers record and then a good chunk of their best songs from cream and i guess cream really only lasted a couple years and it's mm-hmm. one of those things where they made records every 
five months, four months, six months. That's okay. So that's, that was my, I kind of got off thinking there because you, you think number of records. Oh, okay. Well, they were around for 10 years. No, dude, they were putting these things out every couple of months. It mm-hmm. just wasn't the way back then. So you could have five albums out in, you know, three years or something like that. It, it's not like it is today. So the the time frame was much shorter because that's why I was thinking like, how could you have possibly done all of this stuff? Because it was quick, boom. On well, it was back thing. then. Yeah. You didn't have a million dollar budget. You got a week, you know, get it done yeah. this week, you know, and that's why they do covers. Like, okay, well, you know, this one, play it. Let's play it a couple of times. Like, okay, now let's go in and record it. You know, it's the, you can do that. So disc two starts off with more cream. Anyone for tennis, which is kind of a silly, happy little song. They also do crossroads live. Yeah. Which is a you know great old Robert Johnson song and uh, strong strong with the band here. The last one, number four, is Badge. Mm-hmm. Great Cream song written, yes. of course, with Eric Clapton by George Harrison. And do you yeah. know the story of why it's called Badge? Uh, I don't know, but it probably has something to do with other issues that they had. But go ahead. What? Why did they call it Badge? You would okay. So he's sitting there at his house writing and. I can't, I can't remember if it was him who was sitting there writing or it was George Harrison who was sitting there writing. Allegedly, Ringo was there too. And it's like you're sitting across from him and he's writing. So you're, you're reading upside down whatever it is he's writing. And it was either Clapton who said to George or George who said to Clapton, oh, you're writing a new song, are you? Is it called Badge, is it? But it was, it was Bridge. It was just he was upside down trying to read it. And, he, and the R looked like an A, capital R looked like an A, and thought it was Badge. So they changed the name. They, they, badge has nothing to do with any of the rest of the lyrics. Yeah, but, but at the okay. end, he goes, where is my badge? And a lot of people over the years thought that was George complaining. So I guess it was Clapton looking at George. It was George complaining, where's my order of the, where's my CBE? Where's my OBE? Why am I not in order of the British Empire? When really, it's got nothing uh, to do with that. It was a song called Bridge that Clapton thought he saw Badge. <laughs> But I, it's a great, it's a great cream song. And it's interesting too because I think that you, there's there are a couple of songs like that along the way where it's like you know why did you do it? it was a spur of the moment it, it just happened there wasn't really any thought that went into it there wasn't any grand plan. Or like the Led Zeppelin, you know, does anyone see the bridge? Man, I can't find a bridge. Where is that confounded bridge? What's that? Got to, you know, that's not a song. You know, that's something that that happened organically, and they thought this is funny. Let's put it on the record. Yeah. And so then the next supergroup, and apparently he was ready to get out of Cream. Maybe I don't know three months, six months before it happened, and and the manager basically convinced him. Well, you got to say you got to have a goodbye record, and then you have to have a goodbye tour, and somehow that worked. They, their last album was called Goodbye. They put some, yeah. some songs out there. They did do a last tour. Their last concerts were at the Royal Albert Hall, which were filmed. A young band coming up in the ranks called Yes open for them. And that's been captured on film and it's been classic for a long time. But then he moves straight into yet another supergroup, this time with Steve Winwood and Ginger Breaker comes along again for Blind Faith. Only made that one record, Blind Faith, with the controversial cover of a naked kind of prepubescent pubescent kind of girl on there yeah and and i yeah that's not a hot cover but an amazing 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 record and i don't know i think it i think it had to i think it had to do with the fact that they i think they couldn't get along like i don't think this was ever a plan one and done deal i think they i think they put it together they toured they and then it was just like there were there was just internal tensions that broke them apart and clapton says it was like i just wanted to hang out with steve i wanted to hang out with steve and maybe lay down some stuff and they're like oh you got steve Winwood and Eric Clapton, man. 
Let's get them in the studio. Oh, we got enough songs. Let's get the album out. Let's get them out on the road. He's like, they pushed me into this recording. They pushed me into the album. They pushed me into the tour. And so I'm like, I'm pushing out. I don't, yeah. don't want to do it anymore. The good news is about 13 years ago, in the last 15 years, Steve Winwood and Eric Clapton got together and tool. And there's an amazing document of it, Clapton and Winwood live at Madison Square Garden, where they play, I mean, most every song off that album. But they also then get to, they basically told each other, you go into my catalog, I'll go into yours, and we'll pick out stuff that we want to do and, and do it together. And we saw them. We saw them in Columbus. And it was spiritual, man. It was honest to God amazing. Because I've seen Eric Clapton seven or eight times. I mentioned on a previous show, I've now seen Winwood about eight times, nine times, something like that. This was super special. And Presence of the Lord is actually the song that She-Wolf and I danced to in our first dance at our wedding. Now, we took out the psychedelic freak-out guitar solo in the middle <laughs> and basically just did the sweet, soft part and then back to the sweet, soft part at the end. But yeah, I, I'm not too much of a man to admit that I did shed a tear when they played that live. And if you all have seen this video, go watch the video if you haven't, okay? Okay. When they do Presence of the Lord, because they redo it, they have Clapton sing it first, kind of in the spaces where Winwood wouldn't sing. I have finally found a way to live. And then they let and they do it second time and let Steve really do it. I have found do his kind of Ray Charles thing on it. Then they do the psychedelic freak out. Then they come back and they sing it together. And it is magical. It is rock and roll magic. And in the film or on the DVD, you can see them, they give each other a nod. Like, we've done a lot of this stuff, and that was good, I know it. And like, yeah, it's that's, a that's, knowing glance, okay. you know? And that's that's pretty cool, because it, it, it's cool when you see guys who are fans of each other. Mm -hmm. it, there was a there was a Saturday Night Live bit with, it. I won't go into the whole thing, but it, it, Lindsey Buckingham came out. It was kind of a surprise thing, and one of the other guys was Paul Simon. And Paul Simon was there to do like a question and answer thing in this bit. So, but anyway, Lindsey Buckingham just goes out there and plays and to see Paul Simon just say, wow, you know, that's to be, to be in awe of somebody else like that. It's mm -hmm. really cool. Like, yeah, this guy's a great musician. Yes, he is a legend, but he can still say, wow, I really like this other guy. So yeah, to see the two of them be like, that was awesome, right? Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, it's like, that was good. Like, they nodded like, yeah, yeah we yes, hit it. Yes, it man. was. We hit it. We did it right there. <laughs> yeah. And Can't Find My Way Home, just a nice acoustic thing, nice chill song, great song. And it's cool to me that Blind Faith only had the one record and then that they revisited it 30 years later more than that mm -hmm. maybe to do it again together I, I thought that was really cool but yeah, then you'd always rather you'd always rather see that than like oh remember that second record they did with oh yeah Clapton wasn't there and Winwood really wasn't into it and yeah that wasn't they had one boom went into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with one record yeah that's a pretty solid deal well Blind Faith didn't make it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Blind Faith's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Cream is. Cream is, but Blind Faith is not. Because they only made the one. Because they only made the one record. Sorry, we're not going to... First of all, you're all already in the Rock and Roll Fame. And and Clapton is the only three-time member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's like, do we really need to put him in a fourth time? And Steve in a uh, second or third time? Or however many he's been in? No. So, but... So well, maybe, okay, so maybe that's that's my thing, is he's done so much stuff that I just figured that, right. yeah, throw that in there too, because why not? That was great. Exactly. <laughs> so then he still doesn't want to be a solo artist for whatever reason, and he teams up with Delaney and Bonnie and mm -hmm. friends, Delaney and Bonnie Bramlett, who have a killer band. And so he gets, he gets on their album, Delaney and Bonnie, and then he basically picks most of them off... <laughs> 
to go be his solo band once he uh, once he decides he wants to do that. So yeah, I mean, who who plays on it? Well, Carl Radel is his bassist, Jim Gordon on the drums, Bobby Whitlock on the keyboards. They've also got Bobby Keys on sax. Mm-hmm. Played so much with the Stones, they got Rita yep. Coolidge on vocals. Not to mention Delaney and Bonnie themselves. So, so he he guests on their album, and then it's like, okay, finally, fine, I'll make I'll make my first solo record. But he picks off Carl Radel, he picks up Jim Gordon, he picks off Bobby Whitlock, he gets Leon Russell to play keyboard uh, yeah, and piano, okay. which is unbelievable. He gets Bobby Keys, you know, to do sax. He gets all these folks to sing backup. And he has blues power and does J.J. Kale's After Midnight in a kind of rambling Southern kind of way. Not not the second version, which we'll talk about later. And then Let It Rain. I think Let It Rain's a great song. Not necessarily a Clapton blues song, but Let It Rain. Great, great old song. Great old kind of hippie-ish song. Yeah, and, and I think that was one of those, too, that I'd never heard before this deal, too. And again, it's like, why, why haven't I not heard this? This is great. I know. You it's know, just that's you why stick to classic rock records. You, as classic rock radio, you get the same stuff over and over again. Time to expand your horizon, especially these days. It, it's it was kind of bad in the eighties and nineties. They only played certain mm-hmm. stuff. Now it's horrible. Like it, it's <laughs> it's horrible. Like I, I was home in the USA in my hometown of Louisville, listening to WQMF, which has been a rock radio station for generations. And the first day, I'm like, ah, yeah, good to be back. Good to hear my old radio. Good to hear the old stuff. After three days, I'm like, okay, guys, can you mix it up? Just look. They play Guns N' Roses like to the Rolling Stones. I'm like, they made two and a half records. Can you please play something else? And after four or five days, I'm like, QMF sucks, dude. They're they're just they're pandering to the lowest common denominator. And they they don't have the they don't have the cool DJ anymore who no. is like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna play something you've never heard before. Oh, okay, cool, lay it on me. No, nope, it's the same. You know, coming up next the. 27 songs you heard yeah, two and you know, a half hours Not ago. many deep tracks. Certainly no new artists. And not even new songs. Like Cheap Trick put out a new album. You going to play a new Cheap Trick song? No, but here's I Want You to Want Me from the Budokan for the fifth time today. Oh, yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, so rock radio sucks. But, yeah, so he made his first album and it had a few hits on it. Then he gets into Derek and the Dominoes, which, again, had most of the guys that he worked with before. He had Carl Radel on bass. He had Jim Gordon on the drums. Had Bobby Whitlock around. But this time, Phil Spector's around. and He's shooting guns at people. I, well, I, you know, they don't mention that in the notes. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, they also had Tom Dowd as a producer. And then what I didn't realize at the time is, you know, Dwayne Allman was there. He wasn't on every track. And I eventually got, like, the 30th anniversary edition of, of Layla that had some great jams that never made it out in the first place. And some of those jams, Dwayne playing slide guitar is incredible, dude. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because we, on the previous album, I mean, the previous show talked about who would you bring back from the Hmm. beyond, and you said Randy Rhodes. And I said, that's a great choice. Yeah, I'm thinking Dwayne Allman would be another one, too. He had a horrible accident. Somebody hit him with a – he was on a motorcycle. Somebody hit him. He unfortunately checked out very early. But, yeah, just a great 
great slide. Like even Clapton said, he's the greatest slide guitarist on the that ever lived. Right, and he may be right about that. And and I think yeah. that's a good call on your part if you could bring somebody back. Yeah, and how would that have changed the fortunes of the Allman Brothers? What kind of great songs or you know great solos would we have gotten over the years had he lived a little bit? Because I didn't I didn't realize that you know you say oh yeah Dwayne Allman died in in like the eighties you know early nineties. Okay, yeah, I, I get that, but I didn't realize that he had died so early. Mm-hmm. So you're right. What would the Allman Brothers have been? Would he have collaborated with Clapton more? I would say probably absolutely. And here's a side story for you because I read Greg Allman's autobiography. Oh, boy. Greg stole some blow from his buddy, Dwayne, from his big brother, Dwayne. He stole it. And his brother was kind of snoozing at times. like, what are you doing? You taking my blow? Or he's like, did you take my blow? He's like, no, man. It's like, okay, babe, bro. Just take it easy. I'll, I'll be back. I'll see you later. Be cool. And then he went out and died on his motorcycle. So the last thing he said to his brother was a lie about dope. Yeah, I, I, I heard that story. I don't know if you told me that or I heard it somewhere else. But when I heard that, that just broke my heart. Because you'd say, if you could change anything, yeah. But you, what was the last thing you said to your brother? I love you. I talk. No, I lied to him about stealing dope. Yeah, no, I didn't oh. take your cocaine. Oh, man. There's also, I learned a great story about the Allman Brothers. Allman Brothers notoriously did not smile in photos. And if you look at them at the Phil Maurice, kind of the, the album that helped kind of break them out, they're all back there, hey, laughing, having a good time. And it was, Jim Marshall was a famous photographer. We got to meet his assistant down at, um, in Austin. at Austin City Limits. Austin City Limits. So, we went there to uh, to do the taping of Coldplay for the New Year's Eve show. And mm-hmm. there, Jack Daniels was kind of hosting uh, a display of all Jim Marshall's stuff. So they had a lot of his classic pictures. They had Clapton with his fro and his mustache. And obviously they had a, you know, a thing that shows cameras and his bag and all that kind of stuff. And his assistant told me a story. He's like, the Almonds famously would not smile in photos. It's not their thing. And he took like dozens of pictures. Like, come on guys, give me a smile. Nothing, nothing. And then he goes, okay guys, listen, I got the cocaine in my pocket. If you want some, why don't you show me some smile? And then you see him going, ah! like laughing up, like someone just told the funniest story in the whole world. So that's uh, that's just the way it was back then, I suppose. I hope, I hope he had that cocaine or who's going to be in trouble after all that. Yeah, exactly. yeah, he better have had it in his pocket after that, right? <laughs> That's the end of part one of our in-depth look at Eric Clapton's incredible box set, Crossroads, really covering his whole career from 1963 to 1988. And we didn't even really get all the way through disc two there. But in next week's episode, we will pick up where we left off. We will finish disc two there with Derek and the Dominoes, get into his more of his 70s and 80s stuff throughout there. But we hope you enjoyed this little in-depth look. This box set meant a heck of a lot to me, and it really still does. And for Dad, I'm sorry for not sharing it with you. But the fact of the matter is, I've listened to it over the years so many, many times. I did make you a copy of it. I'm not sure how many times you you've looked at that or listened to it, but I know I've gone through the liner notes and just treasured this thing for my entire life. It really kind of set the bedrock foundation of my love of classic rock and roll. And so I thank you for helping me out with that. Look guys, as usual, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You have to tell us. Tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. And make sure you subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on part two coming out 
Thursday, July 22nd. So subscribe. You can do it at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com or on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever it is you get your podcasts. So until next week, when we'll do part two of Eric Clapton's Crossroads, rock and roll fans all over the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.